Good morning. Well, we've talked about Jesus, the beginning, and, and we've talked about Jesus and the first, his first coming. There is this, uh, oh, there's nobody over here. I'm going to use that as an opportunity here. So Isaac and Jose, if you can't see the board, just tell me and I'll move it back a little bit. I was telling Tim Bryant this morning that many times I mention things about the second coming, and I mention them specifically knowing that I'm not going to step on any toes because I mention them generically. But the truth is, when we talk about the end times or we talk about the second coming of Jesus, it is not simple. It's not a simple conversation. In my seminary, we would have said that we're talking about eschatology or the end times. So what I'd like to do is kind of gracefully step into the conversation of the Lord's coming again. Now, from a very practical um, point, uh, okay, you got to give me a second here. Let me put everything in place so that I'm not distracted. From a practical standpoint, when we think about Christianity, some of us have grown up, or I have grown up, in, in an atmosphere where I follow rules, and therefore I'm doing Christianity right. The truth is, is that either what we believe gives us life and has a hope or a promise, or we're pretty much living in vain just trying to apply some type of civil structure to community. Really is the basis of it. So what I'd like to do is kind of do a little illustration here to help you think ahead. When I was a young adult, so I'm going through high school and I have these hints, hey, by the way, such and such would go to the prom with you. And uh, if you'd ask her, and I didn't really know how to do that because I was a little bit inept socially. I think that probably in my whole high school experience, I had a dozen conversations with girls, and they were usually one or two sentences. I just didn't know how to communicate with the opposite sex. But I thought about it because it was the norm. You find a wife and you get married. And I had a couple dating relationships as I was a young adult and in college. And many of them did not turn out well. Uh, sometimes because of me, mostly because of me. <laughs> but through that process, I began to think about marriage. And I began to start getting my idea of this is what marriage is about. So obviously as a male, and I admit, and I've told this story in front of you, I struggled with pornography. So there was a, there was a bit of a kind of a lust factor in thinking, okay, well, marriage is going to fix this. But I, I had, that just helped me create these things about marriage, which when I got married, I realized 
Um, I had the wrong expectations. I really had the wrong expectations. And I've also told this story, too, with uh, Lori and I. The, the first kind of times when I, we realized tension was um, when, we, when I had to deal with the garbage or doing the dishes. See, because I, I thought about these wonderful things about having this intimate relationship with this woman who I was understanding, and she thought I was the most wonderful man in the whole world. And of course, she was the wonderful, most wonderful woman in the whole world, and we, we just understood each other perfectly. And it was just, before we were married, I mean, this, there was wonderful expectations about what all this would look like. But for us, it came down to dishes and garbage. I say garbage because... I'd walk by the garbage, and I was like, oh, yeah, I probably should take out the garbage. And Then I would get like so high, and then Lori would go, Dale, will you take out the garbage? Because it was the male responsibility, right? And, it, and, of course, that would kind of make me upset because, yeah, I was thinking about it. I just was ignoring it. and The whole area of responsibility. And dishes, because we used to, um, I had this thing where, the woman does the dishes because my mom did the dishes. Well, it wasn't the whole picture. When you get kids, then you can make them do the dishes. But it, it, I, my, my mom was involved with this thing. My dad never had anything to do with the dishes. So as the dishes piled up, and Lori was going, you know what? He's a male chauvinist. He should do the dishes. So Lori would stick her heels in, and I would stick my heels in until finally we had no clean dishes, and somebody would have to give in and do the dishes. It's part of expectation and understanding what the reality of life is. So I don't know if you've had a situation like that where you anticipated something and it totally didn't turn out that way. But there is something about this anticipation of Jesus coming again, which is the most pure and perfect thing that we could ever imagine. And it is our understanding of it, which really is the whole foundation of who we are and what we expect and what life is. So it's very important that we step into this conversation in a healthy way, in a way that honors different views, and in a way that honors each other, and in a way that honors Jesus Christ. So it is my endeavor to do that with you. And I don't know how long this is going to take, but I have already decided today that I'm not going to go too far because if I go too fast and put too many things together, I can say the wrong things and then it totally turns out to be a disaster. So today we're just going to start that conversation. If you look at your bulletins, what you'll see is that I have a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. I'll refer to this verse later, but when the disciples were gathered around Jesus, and Jesus is uh, basically saying his goodbyes to them, and all of a sudden Jesus just starts going up into the air, and the disciples are watching, and they're gazing, and he's gone, but they're still looking, and these angels appear and go, what are you guys doing? Why are you looking into the clouds like that? Don't you know? that our Lord is going to come again in the same way he just left. It, and when they were processing this whole thing, and the angels weren't criticizing them, but this was a mark for them to understand something. This is 
really one of the things that the disciples would have been thinking about. This passage from Zechariah. So I am not going to read through the whole passage there. This is what your bulletin looks like. Boy, there's a lot of words there. So I want to help you uh, this morning. First of all, that Zechariah 13 passage. Let me just quick summarize it. And the reason that that's important is because Jesus quotes from this exact passage. On that day, da -da 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 -da, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, da -da 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 -da, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus quotes this to his disciples because he tells them, basically, after the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper's have Matthew, Matthew writes this down, they sing a hymn, and they go out, and then Jesus has this quote for them, that they are going to leave him. So what I want you to do on your bulletin, just to start, I want you to... Oh, oh boy. I just did a no-no. I'm going to need somebody to quick get me some Windex or something so I can get this off the board. I'm, I'm sorry. I, okay. I need some help. Yeah, because it was paper. Okay. I don't know what you anticipated this morning, but I just messed up. I will try that when I get back to the board. Thank you, Karen. Or do I need to do it like right away? <laughs> okay. Didn't expect this this morning. Hmm. Wow. Where'd you learn that trick from? That's amazing. That is amazing. So, I want you to put the cross right here over Zechariah 13, the cross. And in this passage from um, Matthew, where Jesus quotes this, it says in Matthew uh, 20. Six. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So very specifically right now, we're, we're seeing that Jesus is quoting this Jesus is quoting this for his disciples. But if you read the passage, Zechariah is not writing about the disciples. He's also writing about the Jews. Okay, And this is what happens when we're talking about the end times. There's, there are going to be multiple layered pictures of the things that we talk about. So yes, so write the cross across that. And there are three hinges in this passage. I want to talk about these three hinges this morning and then get us to a good place so we can start our conversation in the future. The first hinge is Jesus' crucifixion, the cross. 
And I start there because, number one, Jesus will come again to earth. He will come back to earth. Yes, there will be a new heaven, but when the angels are talking to the disciples, they said he's going to come again. So there will be people with feet on the earth, and they're going to see him coming. It's a real thing. He will come to earth. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. So, as we're beginning to look at this, what comes up is that in Zechariah 13 and in Zechariah 14, we're talking about a bigger subject as described as the day of the Lord. Okay, so, this is what... Very several phrases that go along with this are the millennium, pre-trib, post-trib, great trib. Have you ever heard those before? Ah, millennial. These are all different beliefs regarding our how we interpret scripture and how we look at or view the coming of the Lord. And I would like to kind of touch on all of them and kind of explore all of them to a degree. I will, I will tell you my bent, but I'm going to tell you my bent just because I, I have a bent. Not for you to believe my bent, but I have a bent. I actually went to a school, and it's not well known here, but in the Midwest, and if you were... Uh, pre-mill, pre-trib, then you had a Schofield study Bible. Everybody had a Schofield study Bible. Um, and what it did is it, it like revealed a bent. And you knew if somebody else had a Schofield study Bible, then they had the same bent as you did. And we do this in denominations. And it's really funny in seminary, because in seminary, all these bents get exposed in all kinds of different ways. And and they get bashed. Schofield got bashed, you know, and, and all, all kinds of um, Mennonites got bashed. And I, you know, I just had to sit back and I didn't know I was going to be a Mennonite at that time, so I didn't raise my hand and say, wait a minute. Um, but number one, this whole conversation starts with the cross because Jesus came the first time and that all of that focused on that he was giving his life as a sacrifice as a ransom for many, for you and for me. That's the first coming. But now the second coming has a variety of things that happen with it. And all of these things should touch our heart. But before I get into that, if you look at this passage from Zechariah 13, notice that in verse 13, of chapter 13, it says this, And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Do you remember when Jesus went in the temple and just threw out all the money changers? This is the verse that he knew. Because he knew that his father's house and the temple of God should not have money traitors. So Jesus is like fulfilling this verse. 
for the future. And he's throwing out all the money changers. And he did that two times that we know of. Okay. Well, in his coming, he gave us a revelation of his father that focused on him giving his life. That was the first time. But now in the day of the Lord, Jesus is revealing himself for a variety of purposes. Because he will come back, and the key to his coming back is the clouds, and that is the conversation we're going to have in the next week. But for now, um, mark, mark in your bulletins, Jesus will reveal himself in a variety of ways and for a variety of purposes, and that's connected to his second coming. Jesus will reveal himself in a variety of ways and for a variety of purposes. Really, one purpose, to glorify himself, but we're going to see a different, different ways where we um, see him working with uh, creation and humankind. So Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. And this is the verse that I referenced before. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. You should have these verses underlined in your Bible. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we'll talk about the clouds, and we'll talk about his coming again in the clouds next week. But the second hinge in this passage of Scripture is Jerusalem. The second hinge is Jerusalem. So, uh, we talked about the, the first hinge being the cross. The second hinge is Jerusalem. So, what I want you to do right now, if you have a bulletin, I'd like you to take your pencil or your pen, and I'd like you to circle all the times that the word Jerusalem is in this passage. Chapter 14. Um, there's got to be somebody quick here. So, does anybody have a guess as to how many times Jerusalem shows up in that passage? Oh. Well, that's actually wrong. Does that help you? It's nine times. The reason it's eight times is because my Bible, my Bible software has a glitch in it, and I searched it, and it's, it's really nine times. It's really nine times. It also shows up nine times in chapter 12. That pertains specifically to Israel. And, uh, but it's very important. So, we as Christians who are waiting for his second coming have to understand that there is a hinge, and that hinge is Jerusalem. This is very, very important. So, let me erase this. Did Ginny bring a spray or something, Jay? Ah, okay. Yes, please. I want to make sure that I don't mess this up. Jesus is like the dry erase marker that wipes out what we think our permanent stains are. Okay. Wow. Now, I am really making this simplified. I'm simplifying this. But when we're talking about Jesus coming again, we really are talking, and I'm going to use 
the terms we use in our Christian dialogue. So, amill means an amillennial stance. Okay? And this is regarding the kingdom of God. And uh, my Windex is keeping me from writing good. Maybe I should use the permanent marker again. Huh? And the other stances, rather than just kind of write them out like you, post-mill, pre-mill, all those, I'll just say... Um, Well, there's a millennial stance where Jesus is ruling physically in a different way, coming back to earth and ruling. But it all has to do with the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about those ways later. That'll be several weeks down the road. Why is this important? Because we're all looking together for something. Just like I was looking ahead for marriage or whatever you were thinking of looking ahead to, what your expectations were, um, this conversation has to do with what we expect and how Jesus can correct our expectations. So the second hinge is Jerusalem. And if you look through all the times and you circled all those times, you're going to find several things that go along with Jerusalem. And of all those things, um, so if you have some type of a millennial view where Jesus is, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem that we have right now, and he'll be in there, and these things will be happening around him, including that there'll be a war, and we're not going to get into that. Um, there'll be rule. But Jerusalem is the center. And now with this, there is a third hinge, and that third hinge has to do with and you notice that I've circled on that day, on that day, on that day. So it's a day of the Lord, and something's going to happen on the day of the Lord. The last thing that I want you to circle is, it says the Feast of Booze. The Feast of Booze. Because the third hinge is the Feast of the Tabernacles, or Booze. The celebration of being in the wilderness and Messiah's coming. This is what Zechariah says, Then every surviving, and this is abbreviated, enemy shall go up year after year to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the food, feast of booze. Now, if you're a Messianic Jew or you're a Jew, this would be um, Sukkot. Okay? This is what you would be celebrating. S-U-K-K-O-T. Sukkot. Okay, so second hinge is Jerusalem, third hinge is the Feast of Booze. Now, I didn't want to say anything wrong, so I admit that what I've touched on right now doesn't answer any questions. Are you okay with me not answering the questions this morning? Okay, good, thank you. The anticipation of Jesus coming back is vibrant in the first church, and it should be vibrant for us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and this is what he writes. This comes from 1 Corinthians 16. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Now, this is the ESV, and the ESV is translating a word. In the Greek, this word is Maranatha. Maranatha. This was a big thing in the 60s. I had a Maranatha songbook. We had songs that declared Maranatha. Maranatha is kind of the Hosanna. The Hosanna of Palm Sunday. Maranatha! Our Lord, come! The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Maranatha. And notice all the things that are involved as Paul writes this. Passionately. Looking for Jesus' return invokes love for Jesus and each other. It involves the grace of Jesus. It invokes the love of our Lord. And it invokes a passionate desire for His presence. In the first century, when they sat around the Lord's Supper, they were saying, Maranatha, Lord, come. So when we practice communion, we're practicing the Lord's presence. This is what Paul talks about, that the Lord is present with us. And, and we are declaring his death, and he is one with us. And when they got around the Lord's Supper, they were saying, Maranatha, our Lord, come as you are present with us here, and we can't see you. We are looking for a day when we are together, and we can see you. It is what the Lord's Supper is about. Maranatha, looking for Jesus' return invokes love for Jesus, love for each other, the grace of Jesus, the love for our Lord, and a passionate desire for His presence. It is what the expectation is for Jesus' coming. Do we do that? Do you think about it? So my desire for these next few weeks as we delve into this, this whole idea of the end of time and the coming of our Lord is that we would have a passionate desire for the Lord Jesus to come back and know what that means. And know what that means. Not to make it separating, divisive, but to make it something where we are unified and looking ahead in a healthy way, not like the unhealthy way that I was looking for marriage. By the way, Mary, marrying Lori was the best thing that ever happened to me on earth. Um, and all the things that went along with it, <laughs> which I won't get into details. Okay? Do we look forward to our Lord's coming? I, I, I don't have the words, but we sang this morning, um, King of My Heart. You notice the way that that talked about your heart and anticipation. So when I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, do you understand what that's invoking? That's, that's really kind of what that song is about. It's invoking the presence of Jesus, which we want and desire. Today is an out, 
not about following rules today, is about the declaration that we have a Lord who's coming back to make all things right. Amen?